Why don't you take your Bibles if you got it? Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, if you can find it. You're going to get a silver star today if you find Deuteronomy. Fifth book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I want you to find the last page, chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, and we're going to have a grand time today. All righty. Today we're going to talk about, didn't see that coming. Has that ever happened to you? I'm, as the Bible says, I was young and now I'm old. And if there's one thing I've learned about life on this planet, if there's one certainty about life on this planet, it is simply this. There is no certainty about life on this planet. People finally get to where they want to be. They get the house they want. Everything's going great. They walk into work one day and the boss says, we're not going to need you here anymore. You got a mortgage to pay. You got kids to take care of and you're blindsided. You didn't see that coming. You just... The unexpecteds of life. People make commitments, going to last forever. And somebody walks in and says, I don't love you anymore. And they walk out. You finally get to place, I had a friend recently, they got to place, they'd, they'd saved their money, they were excited about some things, and he gets a bad doctor's report, and within six months, he's gone. She, didn't, she, she was just blindsided by these unexpected things in life. Relationships shift. We have kids and all of us know all our kids are going to turn out perfect because they're supposed to. Because I take them to church and I tithe. Then you get a call at three o'clock in the morning. You go, Where, what happened? Teenage daughter comes in the house. She's pregnant. L- listen, life is, whether they're big ones or little ones, life is just a series of blindsides. From one, you know, health just messes everything up. Or, and on occasion, people don't do right. Let me tell you, I'm one of them people, I want things to be right. You know what right means, don't you? The way I want it to be. I want my turkey sausage to be cooked just right on all four sides in the morning. I want the sun to shine. I want people to drive like they got some sense. Let me help you. The right lane is your lane. That left lane is my lane. Get in your lane and get out of my way. Are you I want things to be right. I want things to be comfortable. Well, you know what I need to do? Move to Mars. <laughs> this life is just a series of unexpected bumps. Happens over and over. And we're going to talk today about these bumps and didn't see that coming and dealing with life's disappointments. Listen to me carefully. You don't need to learn how to survive the disappointments. You need to learn how to thrive in the disappointments. Now, I'm a bird fan. I love birds. I take care of my birds. Squirrel wars at my house because them squirrels are messing with my birds. The father going to call them home and will leave my birds alone. <laughs> and birds are made to fly and sing. I love listening to them. And on bright sunny days, they get out and fly and sing. But when a windstorm comes and a bad storm comes up, most birds run and hide. They find a place in the grass to hide. They'll get in a fork or hide, or crotch in a tree, they'll hide. And they, they're towered down until the storm. They can't do it. But there's one bird that's not bothered by storms. Which one? The eagle. He loves them. If you ever notice, eagles will go out in a storm and they, they don't fly. They fly into storms and they use the winds of adversity to elevate. Somebody should start a church called Elevation. That's a good name right there. 
Well, Katie and I got these two eagles we've been keeping up with for years. They're on, a, on an isolated point out on the inner banks. We were out there last Monday. We rode out on our bikes to check on them. They're out there. Eagles soar into storms. Storms don't bother them. They enjoy them. They just watch them. They go up like that. What bird did God compare his people to in the Bible? Isaiah chapter 40. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like an eagle. They'll run and not be weary. Well, that's during the storms. During, if you're looking for a storm-free life, you might as well go on. What we want to learn to do is not to hunker down and survive. We want to learn how to thrive in the storms. And we'll see that in Scripture this morning. All right, getting caught unexpected. Let me tell you what we're right here in Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible written by a man named Moses. All right, Moses, uh, many world historians, not just Bible scholars, world historians consider Moses to be the greatest human leader in world history. I couldn't imagine who else it would be. All right, God's people, he had a special group of people. They were called Israelites. Now they're called Jews today. They were Hebrews back then. And they had been in servitude. They'd been slaves to the country of Egypt for 400 years. They had slave mentalities. So you can be in something so long, even if you're not supposed to be there, you get to thinking that's you. And they had slave mentalities. They were brick makers for the famous pyramids in Egypt. And that's their job was to make bricks for the Egyptians. And they had a very hard life. All of a sudden, God in his tenderness said, I have heard their cry and I'm sending somebody. He sends a guy named Moses. Well, Moses was to go get these people, free them from their taskmasters, take them on a journey and start a brand new nation that'd be the greatest nation in world history at 80 years old. So this ragged old man, he'd been in the desert tending sheep for 40 years, ragged old man with a stick. And Moses said, I'm supposed to go face the world's most powerful man with what? He said, what's that in your hand? He said, that's my stick. Take that stick, go get him. So he marches into the Pharaoh's palace, world's most powerful man and said, I've come to take your servants. And Pharaoh said, who is this ragged old man with his stick that I should let him have my servants? And Moses said, you want the new King James version or the Southern Alamance version? All right. Moses said, listen to me, doc. Me and this stick right here are going to put, we're going to open a can on you. You don't let them go. You don't want me and this stick right here. They're going to come a day you wish you'd never seen us if you don't let them people go. Pharaoh said, throw him out of here. But there came a day where Pharaoh wished he'd never met that man. And with that stick, he set those people free. And not only after Moses got done with him and that, that stick, after he got done with Pharaoh, Pharaoh said, leave and take our silver and take our gold with you. They carried all the gold and silver out with them. So they start this journey and this man has freed these people. You know how much they loved him? You know how dear he was to them for freeing them from this bondage they'd been in? Right, they start this journey for 40 years. He leads them through this wilderness. Th this man, <clears throat> they got out there. You got 2 million people. Women, babies, marching through the, it's now the Sinai Peninsula Desert. They're marching through that desert. They have no water. How are you going to carry water for 2 million people for 40 years? And they have no water. This man prays. He hits a rock with that stick. Water comes out. They got all they can drink. They got no food. You can't carry food like that. He prays. God rains bread down from heaven every morning because he prayed for them. They got tired of the bread. He said, fine. He prays. He sends quail with the bread. I mean, he's just, he just, this is their lifeline right here. And so, but listen, all this he's doing for them, he's feeding them, they're free, they got a much better life. But he said, listen to me, this is not the best. I'm taking you somewhere that's far better than this. We're going to a place 
it's a land that flows with milk and honey. You'll live in houses you didn't build. You'll drink from vineyards you didn't plant. You have no idea where we're going to. Just stay with me. And, and they get almost there. They're right there at the border of it. And they're so excited because they love their freedom. They love the way God's blessing them. And they're so excited about the future. And then in a moment, something happens. Nobody saw coming. I mean, in a moment. Look at me in Deuteronomy 34, verse 5. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died unexpectedly. I mean, they're just, he just falls over. And these people depended on him. They had no idea what was going on. Look at me in verse seven. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim nor his natural vigor abated. My goodness at that language. 120 years old, he still had 20-20 vision. He was as strong as he was at 25. He wasn't sick a day in his life and then just one day falls over. And these people are devastated because they didn't, didn't see that coming. Verse eight, the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. So the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. They, they, were, just, they were just stunned. What do we do now? And you, you've been there. You've been there where a career collapsed, a marriage fell apart, I got several friends right now that just lost spouses for years. They'd had for years. And that just, this is life, big stuff, little stuff. Here, here's a question. Here's a question. What do you do when Dr. David Jeremiah, a great teacher in the West Coast, he, he, wrote a, he got cancer right in the middle of his ministry and he wrote a book out of it called When Life, When, a, when You Have a Bend in the Road That You Didn't Plan On. What do you do when stuff happens you didn't plan on? All right, we got to respond right so we can be blessed. There's a human tendency when things go wrong in our lives that we didn't expect or we get blindsided. There's a natural human tendency to do three things. And uh, you'll agree when, from scripture, we see people do three things when they get caught off guard. Number one, I didn't know how to word this, so I just say they come unglued. They get in their emotions, they get emotional, they get, they get excited, they get upset, they get fearful, they get worried, they scream. They panic. They're, they're all shook up on the inside. All right, one day Jesus got these boys, these 12 guys that were his friends, and they said to him, let's get in the boat. We're going to the other side of the lake. We've got something to do over there. So, but he didn't tell them the whole story, did he? So they get in the boat, they're traveling. All of a sudden, a storm comes up. Why is it everywhere Jesus goes and his people go, a storm shows up? A storm comes up. And they come unglued in that boat. They're screaming and they said, do you not care? We are dying. And they just freaked out. And uh, they responded wrong in the storm. That happens to people sometimes. People just, and, and then people want to, listen, when, when, you, when you're going crazy because something's happened, settle down. Be still, oh my soul. Number two, number one, people come unglued. Number two, people go into despair and they lose hope. I'm not trying anymore. And, and just a gloominess comes over people. Uh, uh, you accept less than you should. Perhaps the greatest unexpected in the Bible, this man is an unlicensed, unordained, nobody liked him preacher shows up named Jesus, but he's, it's obvious God's with him. I mean, you can raise the dead, you tell crippled people, get up and walk, it's happening. And this guy's going around just doing things for people. Well, he collects a little band of 12 misfits. We call them the apostles. 
They were misfits. Blue collar, redneck, backwards, cut you, cussing. God likes them kind of people. So he gathers them around himself and they're, and they're going around with him doing all this stuff and they're going, what have we got into? Who is this guy? He's calming storms. But he keeps talking about a kingdom. He said, a kingdom's coming. A kingdom. Well, they, they think, yeah, he's going to build a kingdom and I'm going to be the lieutenant. Maybe a secretary of state. I'm going to be something in this thing. He's going to give us seats in this kingdom. And they're so, their excitement's building for a few years over this kingdom. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> one night something goes wrong. And within 48 hours, he's dead in the grave. Yeah. You're talking about getting caught off guard. They gave up their jobs, invested their lives in this man who promised this kingdom they were going to be in. Now he's dead. And they went into such despair <clears throat> Simon said, I'm going back to what I used to be. And the Bible said, the rest of the disciples said, we're going back to what we used to be. And they lost their hope. Numerous things happen physically, relationally, vocationally, and people get into discouragement and despair. That's not right either. Number three, this is the worst one. Things happen in life and people get bitter and they get mad at God. Why did he let this happen? Could he not have stopped this? Did he not know this was coming? How many people do I meet in this day? They're mad because God hadn't orchestrated things like they thought they should be. Those are the three natural responses for people when they get blindsided or caught off guard by something in life. They, they, they get caught up in their emotions. They go crazy. They go into despair and say, what's the use? Or they get bitter at God. All three of those will take you away from the destiny he's prepared for you. You cannot let that happen. All righty. What does the Bible teach? Listen to me. Listen to what I'm fixing to say. Satan will grab your disappointments to destroy your life. He will get in your disappointments and get in your head to destroy your future by making you bitter, hopeless, crazy. Don't let him do it. All right. From scripture, from this lesson right here, when these people were so devastated because of the unexpected, Three things to hold on to when crazy things happen in your life and the unexpected happens. When things get, catch you off guard, you got to remember something. Our Father always has a plan. Always has a plan. In Deuteronomy 34, we find that suddenly their plans were interrupted and Moses dies. But now the book of Joshua follows right behind it. Matter of fact, one verse ends, the next verse is right, it picks it right up. In the book of Joshua at verse one, chapter one, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass. The Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Why did he say that? Do you think they needed to know Moses was dead? Did they not just finish 30 days of crying over him? What, what's he saying right there? Come on guys, what's he saying? I know what's going on in your life. I see what's been happening to you. I know what's going on. Let me show you one of the greatest words in the Bible. What's, after he says Moses is dead, what's the word right after the word dead? Now. Now. He said, now, therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving them. What did he say? I know you didn't expect that. Lift up your head and let's go. I've got a plan for you. And you've got to remember, he has always got a plan for your life, no matter what happens. It, now, listen, you know what they said to him? This was not our plan. And he said, so? I, I saw it on a plaque years ago. I don't remember what it was. 
And it wasn't a Bible verse, but it was the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It said this, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. That's scriptural. You see, this wasn't our plan. Listen to me. He always has a plan for you. You got to cling to Jeremiah 29, 11. I know, you might not know it. I know the plans I have for you. Plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Nothing that hits you unexpectedly can alter his plan for your life. Nothing. And you, in, the, in, the, in the craziness of emotions and, and the temptation to be bitter, you've got to say, nothing has changed in his plan. I didn't see this coming, but he did. You got to hold to the verses of assurance. One of the greatest verses, I've, I've clung to this one for years and years. Heard it as a 20-some-year-old kid riding in my car one day, and uh, I'm going to speak it to you. You need to hold to these great truths like Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day Jesus gets back to this earth. He will. There's another great verse in that same passage, 2.13, Philippians 2.13, that says this, God is working. He's not talking to me. I don't care. He don't have to be talking to be working. He said, I don't don't see the way things are working out. So God is working in you to will and work for his best plan. I don't care if you don't feel it. I don't care if the world's going crazy. I don't care if everything's upside down. God is working in you to will and work for his best plan. And you've got to hold to those great. The whole Bible is a book about faith. You know what faith says? This don't make sense. I don't like it. It's okay to tell him that, but he is right on track. And my times are in his hand. He's ordering it. My buddy J.L. Williams used to teach, just a great job on this one. He would teach this. Our great disappointments are God's divine appointments. All through the Bible, you see that people were so disappointed in things that happened, turn out to be his divine appointments. A great hymn writer years ago named Garth Brooks wrote a great hymn called, I Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. One of my favorite all-time hymns. You can ask if you want to, but dear ones, he may not answer your prayer the way you want it answered. He might have something better than that. And we need to understand he has always got a plan that's always working. By the way, um, there there was one of my favorite verses. I love to quote 2 Corinthians 4, 8 says this. Paul, the apostle, the greatest believer to ever lived, wrote half the Bible. But his life was a series of what the heck's going on here? He was used of God, but every place he went, things went crazy. Whooped, beaten, lied about. I mean, it was just a nut house in his life. And he captured it all in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, these simple words. I am perplexed, but I am not in despair. How many of you can live there? You know what perplex means, don't you? What the heck's going on? <laughs> perplex means I don't have a clue what's going on. You know what not in despair means, don't you? I don't know what's going on, but I know who's going on. Yeah. I don't understand what's happening, but I know whose hand is on the throttle. You, know, you, you want to reach a place in life where you can live perplexed. Once in a while, I, got to, I just pray to him and I say, even if you want to tell me what's going on, I don't want to hear it. I don't always know what God's doing, but I know God. And when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. 
You can't figure out why things are so crazy around you. You just need to know his heart. You don't need to know his plan much as you need to know his heart. And that's what the Bible teaches. I'm in, I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I don't know what he's up to, but I know him. Listen, number one, the father always has a plan. Always. And let me tell you, let me put it in language you can understand from scripture. Every person in this room, there is a file with your name on it laying on God's desk. It is. I could, show, I could take through scripture and show you that. And he didn't write, he wasn't working on it last night after you went to bed. That file was finished before your mom ever met your daddy. Before time began, I ordained you. I ordered your steps. He had a plan for you before he ever said, let there be light. There is a file on his desk with your name on it. And if you could look in that file, you would go, And nothing's changed in that file. I don't care what's happened around. You say, I've screwed up terrible. Take a number and get in line with the rest of us. <laughs> Screwing up doesn't stop him. He's bigger than that. Number two, he's always got a plan. Number two, our father always has a man. I said man because it rhymes with plan. It might be a woman. It's probably a group of people. I want you to notice something. They, they were devastated by whatever happened. And uh, he spoke to them and he said, just because he can't finish with you, I got one that will. Dear ones, there's one thing our Heavenly Father does not like. It's the first thing in the Bible he ever said he didn't like. What's that? Alone. He didn't like alone. He created a beautiful earth. I mean, this earth is beautiful. It's just, you want to know who he is? Go outdoors and look around. He created a beautiful earth. He put man in there. He said it was good. Vegetation's good. Animal life's good. He created man. said, that's very good. The first thing he ever said that is not good, he said, it is not good that a man should be alone. Listen to me. Life is a team sport. He created this thing to be done. What's the first institution he ever started before government, military, education, family. He means for us to live in families, not just biological families, but he means for us to do life with a group of people. And he said, to, he said, it's not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a, does anybody know what he called it? Help me, helper. You need help. God said, it's not good for you to live life alone. You need help. And he's going to give you people to help you. He's always, I think the work of the enemy is to separate us from people. We're, we're, counselors tell us there's a pandemic in this land right now of loneliness. You say, how can you be alone with 332 million people packed on this piece of dirt right here? You can be in a crowd of people and be alone. You can share a mortgage with somebody and be lonely. Dear ones, the heart longs for relationship with people and we need people to help us. Listen to me, you need to help people. We're created, this is life. And he's always got people that are gonna be around you. Listen, if a friend walks off from you, he has another one. If you lose that job, he's got a better job. I'm, I'm telling you, he has always got a plan and it will involve people, being around people. I want you to look at his, his heart for our relationships. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to come back to Joshua Wait a minute, but I want you to look at what he says about life. Now, you know, yet once in a while you see one of these people has had it with people, Lone Ranger, so they go off somewhere in the desert and, you know, put a tent out there and live by themselves. Well, you'll be safe, but you ain't gonna be happy. We went to get a dog one time. I'm talking with a lady there. and 
uh, I forget she got talking about her ex-husband or something. I said, well, God gave you another one. My goodness. You thought I'd have cussed her mama. She let me know real quick. There ain't one walking on this planet I'll have. And I, I told her, I said, they're, they're not all bad. I said, are they, honey? I said, honey? <laughs> you were not designed to live by yourself. You weren't designed to do it alone. First Corinthians 12, 18 says this. God has set the people, the members, each one of them in the body just as he pleased. What does it tell you right there? God wants you hooked up with a group of people. He wants you connected to a group of people. Now it might be a church, that is referring to a church, but it's not just about your fanny sitting in a chair once a week. It's about your heart connecting with people. He wants you in relationships with people. And here's the reason he wants you in relationships with people. This in verse, uh, let's look in verse 25. He said this, that there should be no schism or division in the body. Now listen to me. When we see schism in the body, we think of people fighting in church. That's not it at all. He doesn't want, schism means separated from each other. He doesn't want people isolated, no division, schism amongst the people. The Bible said this, but that the members should do what? The member, a group of people, I'm going to put you in a group of people and they're going to take care of you. The members should have the same care for one another. Look at the next verse. If one person suffers, everybody should suffer with them. He likes shared suffering. And if one person gets a raise or gets a new car or has a grandbaby, you got some folks to celebrate with you. This is his design for life. He has always got a plan for your life. It's always going to involve a group of people or somebody to help you, a leader or a friend. Or, but he's going to yoke you with people so you can do what? Live together so that when you suffer, there'll be somebody there for you. And when things go well, you got somebody to celebrate with you. And what's the, what's the flip side of that? When people suffer, he wants you there for them. And when people celebrate, he wants you cheering for them. Life is a group sport, team sport. He means for it to be that way. He has always got a man, some people to put in your life that'll take care of you. Let me, when Jesus taught us how to pray, now I'm going to give you, we'll do multiple choice. That's easier. We'll do multiple choice. When he taught us how to pray, did he say, when you pray, say, my father, which art in heaven, or did he say, say, our father. You know what it means? Our father. He said, God's wonderful. Well, guess who comes with him? You get in this family, you got brothers and sisters. He said, well, the father's perfect. Knock it off. You get the family. As I tell young couples when they're getting married, once in a while, a young boy, boys are pretty dumb. When they get married, they'll say to me, well, I ain't marrying her family. I'm just marrying her. And I think you dumber than a brick, but you fixing to find out. I've heard rakes make better sense than that. Love me, love my, I mean, it's like bananas, buddy. You get the whole bunch when you get one of them out there. Our father, number one, he's, listen to me. He's always got a plan. His heart is for you and he's got a plan. He's always got people he wants you yoke with. He said, why can't God help me? Ask him when you get there. He wants people to help each other. All right, and number three, our father always has a promised land. There's a place he wants to take you to in life. I'm going to teach you something wonderful about the picture here, but let's just read it. I'm going to go back to Joshua chapter one. Moses died. He told them, look ahead. I've got somebody to help you. I've got people you're going to go with. But I want you to notice their plans were derailed. His were not. In Joshua chapter one, verse 10, he said, Joshua said to the people, 
Tell the officers, verse 11, pass through the camp, command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourself. In three days, you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. God has promised you something and we're going to get you there. He's promised you this promised land. Now, let me, uh, I don't, I hope I don't hurt nobody's feelings here, but we got to stick with the Bible. When I say we got to stick with the Bible, I need for you to grunt or wake up and grunt or roll over, do something, turn over, burp, do anything. All right. When I grew up in a little Baptist church, we used to sing a song called, I am bound for the promised land. Who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. And they placed the promised land as heaven. The promised land is not heaven. Heaven's called heaven. The promised land in the Bible is not a picture of heaven. They were defeated in the promised land by their enemies. You're going to be defeated in, in heaven? They, they sinned in the promised land. You're going to sin in heaven? They had to fight more in the promised land. You're not going to... The promised land is a picture of the best life God has for you. It's when all the promises of Christ are yours in Him. Now, dear ones, these people were saved from bondage, but they lived for years in the wilderness. They were saved from bondage, but they didn't have God's best. Promised land is a picture of everything he promised. And he told them, said, we're going to get you there. Now, just, I'll give you this on the side. Moses, they thought Moses was going to take them to the promised land. He could not. And the Lord told him, you can't take them in. I'm going to take you up on Mount Nebo. You can look in, but you're not taking the people in. There's a reason. Moses, tell, us, tell me what Moses gave us. You go to John chapter one. The law was given through Moses, but grace comes through Jesus Christ. I listen to me carefully. I know how many Christians do I know that are living under the law, but they haven't got to grace yet. The law will give you a safe life. The law won't give you a great life. It'll give you a safe life. Would you agree? If you will not steal, thou shalt not steal. But the Ten Commandments is the law. If you shall not steal, you won't go to jail. If you shall not murder, you won't go to prison for the rest of your life. If you shall not commit adultery... Your old lady won't go Freddy Krueger during the night with a chainsaw on you when you're asleep and you can keep living. If you will obey the law, you can have a safe life. But obeying the Ten Commandments can't give you a great life. Only faith in the promises, only Jesus can give you the great life that he's promised. This is the difference between Moses and Joshua. Joshua is a Hebrew. Remember the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek. Joshua is a Hebrew name if you were to pronounce the name Joshua in Greek, what would it sound like? Jesus. Joshua is a picture of Jesus. The law can set you free from bondage and it can give you a good life, but only Jesus can bring you into all the promises of God. And see, their disappointment was God jacking their lives up for something better. Always is. And he's always got this great place he wants to take you to. All right. Listen to me, nothing can stop his ultimate. But by the way, if you can read the rest of Joshua, did they get there? Was it wonderful? Nothing can stop his ultimate plan in your life if you'll just keep believing. Don't let it train wreck in heart. Nothing can stop what he's doing. All right, listen to me. When you get blindsided in life, whether it's little stuff, little disappointments, the major ones that come along, do not do three things. Do not get in your emotions. Do not come unglued. Matter of fact, you don't, when you get blindsided, you don't need to talk much. There's a time to speak and there's a time to be quiet. It's time to turn your motor off. Don't get unplugged. Listen to me. Do not get in despair. Our God is the God of hope. 
I don't care what's going on in your life. When you hear his voice, you will always go. He's going to do something good here. When your kids go crazy and things are not working out with your children, do not let the emotions and the evil one rack your heart. You get in you say, God is going to work in this situation. Do not get into despair. And whatever you do, dear ones, do not get mad at the only one that can help you. Do not get mad at God. You say, well, how do you explain? I can't explain. We've got to quit explaining and start believing. We've developed a Christianity in America that can be understood. If you can understand your God, if he'll fit between your ears, you need a new God. Yours is too small. I don't understand him. I'm supposed to trust him. And I know this, he is good. Do not get bitter at the one who can help you. All right, <clears throat> here we go. Uh, let, me, let me just help. This is life, dear ones. This is all of life, over and over. I'm, we had a young couple got married, one of our little staff girls last night. It was so beautiful. And guess what they're going to do? Guess what they're going to do now? Started their married life last night. Now they're going to live happily. Hogwash. Hogwash. Why'd we feed our kids that crap when they were young? We read them stories about the prince come on his valiant steed and took her away to the palace. They live happily ever after. Only in fairy tales, dear ones. Actually, he came in a pickup and took her to a double wide and they fought like cats and dogs till the day it was over. I <laughs> listen to me. That only happens in fairy tales. You know what this book teaches you and me? You know what life teaches you and me? Nobody lives happily ever after. There are bumps. There are unexpected turns. There are terrible disappointments, but if you will believe him, you will end where you started from and he'll get you there. And we have to believe him. One of the greatest lessons we'll learn in life is pick up your head. I want you to turn with me a few pages to the book of 1 Samuel. This is one of the great disappointments in the Bible. 1 Samuel. And I love this verse. I've, I've held to this verse and I've taught it to people for years. I'm going to try and be gentle as I say it here, but sometimes we need to help people. Sometimes, well, let's just read it. Let me tell you what happened here. The, God's people wanted a king. They wanted somebody to lead them. So he sent them the first king of Israel that ever lived. His name was Saul. Saul was a great king. He, the Bible said he was head and shoulders above other people, which is a picture of very talented, very gifted. But Saul had a character fault in him. He thought he was smarter than God. Let me make an announcement. That ain't happening. Oh, we sat real quiet here. Let me make an announcement. He's the smart one. The living God is. Saul thought he was smarter than God and he kept disobeying God to do what he thought was smarter. Sound familiar? And finally, a day came where God said, that's it. You can't be king anymore. Well, Samuel was one of the greatest people in the Bible. Samuel was the prophet who mentored him and loved him, cared for him. Samuel was the national, he'd be Billy Graham to our nation. And Samuel's one of the few people in the Bible, there's nothing negative. There's only two or three people in the Bible, nothing negative ever said about Samuel, Daniel. Well, Samuel is so crushed by the fact that his plans have been interrupted and Saul's been removed as king. The Bible said he wept all night long. He was just crushed. Matter of fact, let's read the last verse in chapter 15. 1 Samuel 15, 35. Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. He was so upset over, I thought it was going to be this way. All right, Samuel's just brokenhearted and upset over this unexpected thing that's happened in his life. So in the next verse, chapter 16, verse one, God comes to him. What do you think God would say to somebody who's crying like this? You think he put his arm around him and comfort him? Watch verse one of chapter 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? 
How long will you mourn for Saul? I've rejected him. Fill your horn with oil. Get up and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I have provided myself a king. Now listen to me. God came to him and he said, you've cried enough. There was a time to stop crying. There's a time to stop looking back. There's a time to get out of the rearview mirror. There's a time to stop hurting. Now there is a time to weep. The Bible is very clear in Ecclesiastes. There's a time to weep. But then the Bible also says there's a time to quit weeping. And there's a time to quit looking back. There's a time to quit hurting. What God said, listen, he wasn't being ugly, dear ones. He wasn't being brutal. He was helping the man. If he'd have left him alone, he'd have cried himself to death there. He said, listen, stop. How long are you going to cry? What did he say to him? Look forward. Dear ones, get out of the rear view mirror. There's a time to quit looking back at what happened. If you screwed up somewhere, there's a time to quit beating yourself up. There's a time to ask for forgiveness. There's a time to be sorry, but there's a time to get up and go on. If somebody's done you wrong, there's a time to wash it, wash it off and get done with it and get up and go on. I'm gonna, I've said it many times. Satan will use your past to destroy your future. There's a time to hear God say, we've cried long enough. We've hurt long enough. Get up and go. What does that mean? Fill your horn with oil. What's that always mean out of the old covenant? Get filled with my spirit. Let the peace and the hope of me come back inside of you. And what do he say? I got a plan. I found somebody that's going to be better than what you thought was. And he sent him. And did he not go find David who built the greatest nation in world history? I love this verse. Now I'm, I'm trying to be careful this morning. <clears throat> I'm not talking about people who lose mate. I don't think you ever get over losing your mate after you've been together for years and years. But as my dear friend, Mr. Rosser said, who pastored here in front of me, you'll never get over it, but you will get through it. And I don't care what happens in your life. What do you say right here? I have still got a plan for you. And I want you to look forward. And uh, let me tell you what's happening in our nation right now. We're letting our past ruin our future. And it is time for people to say, it is, what is Philippians 3.13? Forgetting those things that are behind me. Reaching forward to those things that are ahead. God's got things planned for your life. You'd crawl across broken glass to get to them if you could see them. But what does that verse Philippians 3.13 teach me and you? You can never look forward to the things that are ahead until you're willing to what? Letting go of those things which are behind. There's a, God, I'm trying to be nice this morning. Why don't I just go ahead and say it? I ain't. What are you going to do, fire me? I mean, what's the deal? I find that sometimes in just letting people cry on and on and bleed and wound is the worst thing you can do for them. Help them to get up and say, let's go. Our God is on his throne and he's got a plan. And we need to get up and go. All righty. I'm going to quit by saying this. You're going to get blindsided in life. I'm not prophesying doom and gloom over. I'm just telling you, we live in a fallen land. And this land is going to, maybe this ain't the correct English, but this is good preaching. This land is going to get more fallen the closer we come to the second coming of Jesus. It's going to be a nut house before we get off this ball. Like it's not now. You need to learn to say three things. My God has promised me a blessed, abundant life. And his son died on a cross to pay for it. And that includes my family. That includes my relationships. That includes every, my God died to give me a great life. Period. Number two, he did not promise to do it my way. No, 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 no. Say this with me. He did not promise to do it my way. He promised a great life. He didn't promise it the way you wanted it. Number three, he did not promise me a life without bumps. 
Can I get a witness? You never have been living for about 30 minutes. He, he did not promise a life without craziness in it. Read, the Bible, read all through the Bible. Number four, you are faithful. He is faithful. He will do what he began. You need to learn these great verses. Listen, you got to say them. It's good to say them. You need to bow up on So I don't care how you feel. You need to say, my times are in his hands. A good man, good woman's steps are ordered by the Lord. He who began this good work in me, he will be faithful to complete it till the day Jesus gets back on this earth. I don't care how I feel. He tells the truth. That's the battle of faith that we fight to stay in the middle of it there. It is very important. It is very important that you respond right when things don't go right. That's pretty good right there. Respond right when things don't go right. Who would you say is the man in the Bible that got blindsided more than anybody else in the Bible? I mean... Somebody got it. Job. Job. Let me tell you, Job was a good man. The Bible's in, Job's one of those other people the Bible found no fault in him. He wasn't a perfect man because that's only Jesus, but he was a great man. He, he loved God. He'd raised his children right. And God had blessed the fire out of him. Fire is a Hebrew word, theology term. God blessed the fire out of him. He was filthy rich. He had 6,000 camels plus other junk. Who knows 6,000 camels? Anyway, he had them. He had 10 beautiful daughters. He had beautiful children. They were all blessed. He, he had everything in the world. His old lady is a little questionable, but you know, nobody's life's perfect. The man did nothing wrong, nothing wrong. And he's just enjoying the life God gave him. The Bible said Job rose every morning and blessed the Lord. He got up every morning to thank God for the good life he had. In one day, for no reason, he was blindsided. He lost everything he had. Chaldeans came and raided him, stole everything he had. As soon as that guy gets done telling him what happened, another guy walks in the house and said, all 10 of your children were having dinner together. A storm hit the house and killed every one of them. And then on top of that, he got blisters and boils on his body from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He took a piece of broken pottery and scraped the pus out of those boils. He's lost everything he's got. He's lost his family. He's lost his health in a day. Everything was going so good. He didn't do anything wrong. 38, three preacher friends come see him and that was the worst thing could happen. 38 chapters, they ran their mouths. God finally said, ain't none of you know what you're talking about. The only thing he had left was his wife. The devil left her, ain't no doubt about that. And he's sitting here going, and Joe, listen, there's nothing wrong with saying what happened. He's questioning, why is this happening? And his wife spoke up and she said, do you retain your integrity after all this? She said, why don't you curse God and die? Look what he's done to you. And Job, one of the greatest acts of faith in the Bible, Job said, you speak like a foolish woman. Shall I receive good at his hand and not receive evil? And the Bible said, Job stood up and he blessed the Lord. And he said, I was born naked. I'm going to die naked. He's blessed me. He's taken it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He didn't ask for understanding. He didn't try to figure it out. He just blessed God and praised God in the middle of it. One of the greatest acts of faith in the Bible. And the Bible, you got to go all the way to the book of James on the other side of the Bible to find out what happened in the end. We see the end, because he responded in right, in faith, we see the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is good and compassionate and gracious. And the Lord restored double he had double the stuff, double the family, double the health. I think he's kept his old lady too. But outside of that, he had a pretty good life when it was said and done. Why is that in the Bible? 
What is our father saying to us through that? Learn how to respond correctly when crazy things happen. Just worship me, trust me, believe that I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. We've got to learn to respond right, dear ones. It doesn't matter whether it's the little disappointments of our, the, it rained and my picnic got canceled or the great big ones where we're just, it hit, sometimes stuff hits you so hard, it takes your breath away. It affects you physically. He is still God and he's still got his plan. You don't have to understand it, you have to trust him. I don't want to throw in one more thing before I finish just as an afterthought. Maybe you're not old, you had not learned this yet. I've been walking with him for 40 some years. The unexpected places in life are where you find God. That's where you really find him at. If it's sunshine every day and everybody cooperated, I, I'd know him a little bit. I have found God in the tough places. One of my favorite passages that teaches is 1 Kings 17. A guy named Elijah, his nation was under judgment. And they were going to suffer because of their sins. And they're in drought. Everybody's dying because of their drought. God speaks to Elijah and said, because you've honored me, I'm going to take care of you in this mess. You go live by the brook Cherith. I think he, he was sort of an outdoor redneck type anyway. He said, you just go camp by that brook. Birds will bring you bread and meat every morning, every evening, and you drink water out of the brook Cherith. And he had a great life. He's just living there, drinking the water. The birds bring cheeseburgers every morning. He's having a great life. And the Bible said in verse seven, I think it is, and the brook dried up. You didn't mention that to me. I thought you was going to take care of me. You ever had something drop in your life? A relationship? A, it just, what, what you thought would be there forever just disappeared. I love, to me, this is humorous. Next verse said, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Guess why the word of the Lord came to Elijah? Because when your brook dries up, that's when you start looking for the word of the Lord. That's when you start seeking him and finding him. And he found him and God spoke and said this. You think I've forgotten you, don't you? You think my promise has collapsed, don't you? I actually dried that brook up to get you over here so you could be taken care of by somebody else and so you could help somebody else. And he moved him to a better place where he ended up helping more people. Listen to me. The craziness in life, your great disappointments may be his divine appointments to do something in there. But there's one thing you can rest assured of. He is big and he is good and he has got you on his heart. Amen. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I have tattooed you on the palms of my hand. You are always on my mind. A great hymn writer named Willie Nelson wrote a hymn about that. You may not understand, but you are always on his mind forever. A man doesn't nail his son to a cross for you and not take care of you. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you this morning. I, you know, as I've told you, you know, a few times in private, I wish everything went the way I thought it should. I'm blind as a bat when it comes to the big picture. Today we praise you because you are good, because you are merciful. Because as a father has a tender heart toward his children, so has the Lord toward those who honor him. And I praise you and thank you. When I see your word, all through your word, what I see is people were blindsided. They were caught off guard. They, things collapsed. Things didn't go like they thought. And you never failed a one of them one time if they would just say, praise God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's in charge. I trust him. I want to praise you and thank you for your kindness. I pray for every person in this room. Some of us in here are in the great days right now. Everything's just going hunky-dory. It's wonderful. Thank you for that. Father, people in this room right now that are 
they're in disillusionment because this is not how I planned on it being. Speak, Lord, thy servants listen. I trust you for that. We give you all the praise and glory. And I thank you that just like those disciples who came unglued during the storm, when the sun set that day, they were standing right where you said they would be with Jesus enjoying their lives forever. I trust you for that. Father, I'm going to ask people to get on the train now to follow you. I pray you move through this room. Open people's hearts to Jesus, to follow him. Friend, as we're praying, maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart. Maybe you're not a child of God yet. You could be. The Bible says that Jesus is the only way to God. He is the door. And Jesus said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not about being good. It's not about going to church. It's about putting your faith in what Jesus did for you at the cross to become a child of God. You either are or you aren't, but the door of God's heart is open through Jesus. If you want to become a child of God this morning, turn from your sin and follow Jesus. Let him take over your life and give you the great life he planned. Right there where you're seated, I want you to pray a simple prayer with me. I'll help you. It's just from the heart. Say this, dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on a cross for me because you love me. Today I come to you in faith, like a child. I ask you to forgive me all my sins. I ask you to save my soul, to make me your child forever. I trust you from this day forward to be my Lord, my Savior, my best friend, everything in life I need. Today I surrender my life to you and I receive you into my heart. 